Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Cosmic Redemption and the Godly Ambition Projecting the future is a discipline that scholars refer to as an epistemological pickle. Scripture solves that problem by giving a framework for looking at both history and the future that centers around God's promise of cosmic redemption. Consider one example from Micah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Quote, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountains of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. End quote. This cosmic redemption ought to inspire not merely optimism, but ambition. Ambition requires dreams sanctified according to the future God promised. This future goes by the name of the kingdom of God, which is planted, growing, and awaiting its culmination in eternity. Consider the following triperspectival view of ambition. First, we need a view of the future. Now, there's a healthy way to look at the future and an unhealthy way. Peter Berger has suggested that one of the marks of our modern times is that people's imagination and activity are geared towards the future. People are always looking for the next thing. In the 21st century, people despise tradition and idolize young people and young ideas and whatever happens to be the fresh thing. This is an unhealthy view of the future. This is an unhealthy preoccupation with the future that not only diminishes any means of restraint, but it diminishes cosmic significance. This modern way of looking at the future, let's call it secularized providence, stands in contrast to the traditional society where people look to the past, value tradition, and esteem the elderly. Second, consider a view of the past. The only thing most people know about history is the quote by the philosopher George Santayana from his 1905 book, The Life of Reason, where he says, Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. It comes as a shock when people read the Bible and discover that God intends for history to repeat itself. What does a biblical view of history look like if we start with God rather than George Santayana? Well, because God never changes, and because God's standard never changes, and because God's purpose never changes, He created a world in which history can be repeated. The affliction the church endured during the Jewish wars and the destruction of the temple in AD 70, which Jesus prophesied about in Matthew 24, are prototypes of the persecution that Christians have faced ever since. Many of the predictions in Revelation about the destruction of the temple concern principles and happenings that recur throughout the church age. Paul's exhortations in 1 Corinthians 7 are specific to a present distress 
that he speaks of in 1 Corinthians 7.26. And yet, they are principles that are operative for every generation. The Old Testament prophecies reflect not only the specific calamity of the moment, but also the principles of human conduct and divine moral activity. I mean, think of how often in Scripture one story reminds you of another. For example, in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham deals with Pharaoh by pretending his wife Sarah is his sister. Then, in Genesis chapter 20, Abraham does the same thing in dealing with Abimelech. Then, in Genesis 26, Abraham's son Isaac does the same thing. Another example of how one scripture reminds you of another is that the Egyptians urge Israel to leave by giving them silver and gold in Exodus chapter 12. But then, many, many years later, Cyrus decrees Israel to return to its homeland also with gifts of silver and gold in Ezra chapter 1 verse 4. Another example of how one scripture reminds you of another. Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And he preached the Sermon on the Plain in Luke chapter 6. Different sermons but basically the same one. God created a world in which history can be repeated. That means that our task is to contemplate what God has said in His Word, consider what God's people did in obedience or disobedience, and learn righteousness. We can't go back and redo Israel's exact situation and choose the right path for them, but we can learn faithfulness in our new circumstances to recreate the obedience Israel should have chosen. That is the sense in which God created a repeating world. And this is what it means to read the Old Testament and use it as a guide, just like we're told to. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, Now these things took place as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. And also, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, By turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And third, consider a view of the present. The eschatological vision of Christianity requires living with a certain ambition driven by the fact that righteousness outlives greed and depression. Believers are God's steward. There is a living hope of righteousness for the world. The Old Testament prophets announced two primary threats to peace. First, the internal threat of corrupt leaders leading the people to idolatry. Second, the external threat of conquering nations leading the people to idolatry. In God's good time, the sun will rise and the godly ambition of Micah chapter 4, which I quoted earlier, will be vindicated and rewarded. In the meantime, as God's steward, the church has the obligation of faithfulness. Christians in every city across the world ought to live with the thousand small accommodations of hope. This means anticipating God's cosmic ambition rather than thwarting it. It is an accommodation of hope because the faithful will have to make accommodations to choose joy over gloom. They're going to have to adjust their thinking away from the trendy defeatism rampant in evangelicalism and toward faith in God. The Spirit washes over His people 
when they are baptized and united to Christ. By faith, they gain the capacity to hope all things in love. The Spirit gives them the ability to predispose faithfulness, which requires recognizing the tendencies favorable to it. This isn't the power of positive thinking. Rather, God's people have a certain purchase for the future God has promised. Living in faith with godly ambition mobilizes God's people in the work of cosmic redemption. God's cosmic redemption might strike Christians as a nice thought, but nowhere near the current situation. Christians might think these things are so esoteric and far away that whatever hope emerges from Bible reading is vulnerable to disappointment. This is because people mainly think with reference to an hour from now or a year from now. They struggle to comprehend the right now meaning of God's eschatological promises that seem so far away. So in conclusion, in Philippians chapter 2 verses 10 and 11, we read of a coming time when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Consider the fullest aspect of what this great consummation means. It means there will be a time when doubts have disappeared. There will be a time when every apparent contradiction is removed. There will be a time when all of science converges into one great conviction professing the living God. There will come a time when all of art is devoted to the one great end. There will come a time when all of human thinking is permeated by the refining, ennobling influence of Jesus Christ. There will come a time when every desire is brought into obedience to Christ. If we are living in vital communion with the risen Lord and with each other, if we are really convinced of the truth of our message, then we can live every day and fulfill every task, large and small, with godly ambition. God can use anyone at any time to influence his kingdom. And God usually exerts that influence through people marked by faith, hope, and love. Thanks for listening. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.